I'd like to invite your attention this morning to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and specifically verses 5 through 25. Luke chapter 1, begin reading in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty... According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just." to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his throne. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Father, we are into the second week of Advent. And Father, the Advent season is all about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a a season uh, of expectancy. And so, Father, we pause from our regular study for two or three weeks to examine uh, some of the events that took place that prepared the way for the Lord Jesus to come. In his incarnation. And this morning we look at uh, the Gospel of Luke and we look at the forerunner of the Messiah, the, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus, John the Baptist. And Father, there are some tremendous lessons for us to learn from his parents. And Father, I pray this morning that through your Spirit you would help me to uh, speak clearly, logically. Uh, Father, I pray that you would, through your Spirit, give us understanding. And Lord, I pray most of all that you are glorified and Christ is exalted. And we ask all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Have you ever prayed for something only to to be disappointed 
that your prayer wasn't answered according to your plan and your schedule? I think we all would say yes. Have you ever prayed for something and you had it all figured out how God was going to answer? And then when he did answer you, you were surprised at how God answered your prayer. Most of us, again, would probably say yes. Have you prayed for something and struggled to believe that God had actually answered your prayer because the answer that he provided for you seemed so improbable? Probably yes. And if you answered yes to any of those questions, or even just one of those, let me encourage you by letting you know that you're not alone. In fact, you share an experience that many believers have come to know, and it is also was also the experience of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, let me ask you this question. Based upon what we know from the text, could we say that Zechariah and Elizabeth had an effective prayer life? Now, don't be so quick to answer. Could we say, based upon what we see in the text, that Zechariah and Elizabeth had an effective prayer life? Well, I believe that I could safely say that they did. And part of why I believe that... to be true is the testimony of the angel. In verse 13, the angel said to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, 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 for your prayer has been heard. Okay? So, whatever prayers he had been offering, they had been pleasing to God, and therefore God heard them in the sense that they were prayed according to God's will and In light of that, his prayers were heard. So the angel goes on to tell Zechariah that him and Elizabeth were going to have a child, but he wouldn't be just any ordinary child. He would be a great child who had been brought into the world as part of God keeping his promise that he originally revealed in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In Genesis 3.15, he said, I will put enmity, that's God speaking, I will put enmity between you, that's the serpent, Satan, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, her offspring, that's Christ, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so we know now that the child would be John the Baptist, and John the Baptist would be the forerunner of the Messiah. He was the one sent by the Father to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. So, would God the Father have entrusted such an important child to a careless and prayerless family? I think not. So therefore, here's my first takeaway for you today. Do not evaluate the effectiveness of your prayer life by the rapidity with which God answers your prayers. Do not evaluate the effectiveness of your prayer life by a rapid response or lack thereof. It may take years. It may take decades before God answers. But he always answers in such a way and in such a time as is best for his glory. So it's helpful at this point to remind ourselves that the entirety of Scripture is about God. It's about his plan. It's about his faithfulness. It's about his power. It's about his 
working in ways that only he can work. And he works in such a way, never forget this, that his glory is maximized and magnified. So as a believer, this gospel story teaches me to never give up believing in spite of what I may see with my physical eyes. Because as a believer, I am supposed to have what? Eyes of faith. So this story teaches us that God works in the most unexpected ways with his perfect timing. So let me ask you, what about you? Is there anything in your life that you've been praying for, yet the answer is slow to come? Are you beginning to doubt the Lord's faithfulness to you? If that is where you find yourself this morning, let me point you to an old man who has for decades faithfully served his God day after day he continues to serve he keeps moving forward even though there is one overwhelming desire that both he and his wife hold dear and that is their desire to have a child yet the answer never came Look to Zechariah and Elizabeth and be comforted with the knowledge that God's delays, beloved, are not his denials. Well, Luke, of course, writes with the mind of a historian. He's careful and he's precise in his writing and he provides just enough detail to provide evidence to validate that what he writes is true. So he begins by highlighting the important players in this biblical drama. In verse 5, again, he said, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, although that's all that Luke provides uh, in way of detail about Herod, we know from secular history that he was a man who could not be trusted, nor was he trusted. And there was a saying in that day that it was better to be a pig than to be a son of Herod. He killed his own sons. He is known in history as a violent, brutal, and bloody man. So his reign was certainly a dark time in the nation of Israel. And we contrast evil Herod with a good man who's married to a good wife. And their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. Verse 6 tells us that they were both righteous before God. And why were they righteous before God? Well, it goes on to say because they walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They were God-fearing. They were God-honoring people who obeyed God's revealed moral law. Luke does not say that they were perfect people because we know they were not. But their hearts were bent towards God and for God. They loved God, and their love for God showed in how they lived consistently for him day in and day out. But they had a problem. There was a problem in their life. And Luke adds it in verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, 
and both were advanced in years. Advanced in years is a kind way of saying they were senior citizens. They were well into their 60s. They weren't spring chickens anymore. And culturally, this fact that they were barren, that Elizabeth was barren, was painful. Children were understood as a sign of God's blessing, yet they had none. Now imagine this, a priest, a priest who faithfully served God, has a wife who can't, can't have a child. And I wonder if the people, as people are wont to do, whispered behind their backs, what kind of priest can he be? God has not even seen fit to bless him with a child. And as we've seen, they were past that time in their lives. The hope of one day having a child was now nothing more than a distant memory. All that remained was the pain. The hope had long since gone. And isn't that the situation we often find ourselves in? The hope is gone, but the pain remains. Remember, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, God has not finished writing our story. And even if the pain re remains throughout your entire lifespan here on earth, remember that the Bible says that there awaits for us a what? A great weight of glory. Pain is never wasted. Pain is never in vain. Pain does prepare us. Philip Ryken writes this, We can well imagine the lifetime of heartache behind those words. This was the great disappointment of Elizabeth's life. She had always longed to hold a child in her arms, her child, but now that wasn't possible. She had been through menopause. Her womb was old and barren. And just as Jesus said when asked by the disciples, Why was this man born blind? Jesus said, hey, he was born blind. Why? For the glory of God. Why was Elizabeth barren? Why was she childless? For the same reason, for the glory of God. Let's not sugarcoat this story because it's Christmas time, okay? This is not a Hallmark movie where everything works out in the end. Elizabeth had suffered for decades because she was not able to have a child. But God was going to use this most improbable woman going to use her suffering by giving her a special child. And the best way to show that God had something special in mind was giving to this elderly woman, this godly woman, but a barren woman, a miraculous birth. One commentator wrote this, Elizabeth was suffering. This is, these are not easy words to say or to hear. Elizabeth was suffering because of the way God wanted to be glorified through her life. I take that to mean there was a purpose in her suffering. That purpose wasn't revealed until the latter stages of her life, but ultimately she understood what lay behind her suffering. And we too one day will understand. And the experience of Elizabeth teaches us that even in the midst of suffering, there is a way for us to glorify God. 
suffering heightens our spiritual sensitivity and can bring us into a closer relationship with God. Go back to the Old Testament. Remember a woman named Hannah. She wanted a child so badly. And she prayed so earnestly, they thought she was drunk. She was suffering. But God answered that prayer, didn't he? She gave birth to Samuel. When we suffer, and the Bible teaches that we will all suffer to one degree or another, the question we should not ask is, what have I done to deserve this? That is the wrong question. The right question is, how can I glorify God through this? So it's both a bark, uh, dark time, excuse me, a dark time for both the nation of Israel and personally for Zachariah and Elizabeth because they had no child. And as far as they knew, they would never have a child. But Luke shows us that even in the darkest and bleakest times in world history, as well as our own history, that God is always at work in ways unseen and unknown to us. So that means we can be confident that God hears our prayers even in the dark, suffering times of our lives. That prayer is never wasted. It is never ignored. Despite the circumstances of Zechariah and Elizabeth, they remain faithful to the Lord. And I want to stress that. When things don't go as we had hoped, when deliverance doesn't come, the tendency for all of us is to what? Run. To give up. But don't do that. And because Zechariah remained faithful to the Lord, it turned out to be a very special time for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Not only was he a priest who served daily in the temple, he had been chosen to go and burn incense on the altar of prayer. Now, we read this and we say, well, what's the big deal? Well, this was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for a priest. Jewish historians tell us that at this time in Israel, there were over 20,000 priests. That's a lot of priests. And the priests were divided into 24 divisions, and each division served at the temple on a rotating basis for two weeks every year. So in the providence of God, Zechariah is about to receive a great honor. Every day, two priests were chosen to go in to enter the uh, holy place and offer incense on the altar of prayer. One would go in on the morning and one would go in in the evening. And because there were so many priests, they were chosen by lot. And on this day, Zechariah was chosen. Commentators say this would have been the greatest moment. It would have been the apex of his personal history. It would be like for me, Andy Dalton winning the Super Bowl. It ain't happening. 
It would be like Michigan beating Ohio State. I hope it never happens. It would be like Joe Carter hitting a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth to win the World Series for the 1993 Toronto Blue Jays. It just doesn't get any better than that. And this was Zachariah's Super Bowl. This was his World Series moment. But what he realized, it was going to be even bigger than what he could ever have dreamed or imagined. So Zechariah very carefully put on the priestly robes that symbolized purity. He then would have walked through the courts of the temple with the eyes of the worshipers who had gathered there to pray locked on him. He would go into the holy place where God was. And as he entered the holy place, just, just imagine this, he would have seen the ancient holy furniture and utensils that God had given instructions to the greatest prophet Israel had ever known to Moses. And those things were there. He was in the presence of God. Zechariah was standing in the presence of God Almighty and he's burning that sweet incense that would rise as a pleasing offering to God. It was a moment of awe and I wouldn't be surprised at all if his heart was pounding so greatly that he could feel the beating in his chest, in his eardrums. And suddenly Zechariah realized he wasn't alone. Standing on the right side of the altar was an angel. And the Bible says, Luke kind of tickles me here when he says, the Bible says, Luke says that he was troubled and afraid. You think so? <laughs> now, when I think of an angel, I don't think of a thin waif of a man dressed in white flowing robes with delicate wings off his back. You know what I think of when I think of an angel? I think of a warrior. I think of Heimdall, the guardian of the Bifrost. Better yet, I think of Thor. I think of someone who's come to do God's bidding, one who's been sent to protect God's children. I want Thor protecting me and not Ant-Man, amen? But what was the first thing that God's mighty angel did? You know what he did? He speaks to a petrified priest and he gives him words of assurance. By the way, I don't believe that that was the angel's idea. That was God's idea. I don't think the angel was ad-libbing here. I think he was speaking on behalf of God. And the angel's words give us such tremendous insight into the character of God. The angel told him to not be afraid, for his prayer had been heard. Now, which prayer is the angel referring to? Is he referring to the lifelong prayer that him and his wife had prayed asking God for a child? Or was he referring to the prayer that he had just offered in the temple? Well, I'm inclined to believe that the prayer that the angel has in mind is the one he's just offered in the temple. I say that because the angel said, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. 
Now, obviously, the appearance of the angel under those circumstances would have caused anybody concern, especially a priest in the holy place. And I wonder if the first thought that came to Zachariah's mind was, uh-oh, I have messed up. And God has sent his angel to give me a serious correction or he's going to kill me. So the angel says, uh, reassures him that his prayer was acceptable and that it has been heard. And regardless of which prayer the angel is referring to, the important thing is that he says his prayer has been heard. And then the angel delivers the news that this godly, elderly couple have been waiting the entirety of their lives to hear. They were going to have a child, and the child's name would be John, which means, John, did you know this? God has been gracious. By the grace of God, they would finally have the child they had longed for and prayed for. And he tells them, this child is going to be a source of great joy, but not just for you, his parents. It's going to be a source of rejoicing for many, many people. And then the angel goes on and tells them how they are to raise this gift of God's grace, which, small p.s. here, all children are a gift of God's grace. He says, John was to be set apart, and as a sign of his holiness, he was not to have any strong drink. The reason he says he's not to have any strong drink is simply this. When John went out and spoke, when John went out and acted, God wanted it to be clear that he was under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit, and he wasn't all liquored up. That's why he says that. So Zachariah has just been given incredibly good news. Their prayer has been answered. They ch the child that they had prayed for was going to be given to them, and he was going to be something special. Now, you would think Zachariah at this point would be bursting with praise, that he'd be bursting with joy, that he'd be on top of the world. But like so many of us, guess what? He's filled with doubt and unbelief. And this was forcefully driven home to me this week. This week, uh, I got some really good news. Now, nothing like Zachariah received. Sherry and I are not expecting, so don't plan a baby shower. <laughs> but it was pretty good news. But it, 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 the, the, the news I got was pretty good, but it didn't take long for the doubts to creep in. It didn't take long for unbelief to creep in and shove aside my joy and shut my mouth that was a, a second ago giving words of praise and thanksgiving. And all of a sudden, guess what? Now I'm playing the what-if game in my mind. Yeah, that was good news, but what if this happens? Or, yeah, that was good news, but what if that happens? Believer, we must be on guard and fight against unbelief. Why? Because the Bible says whatever is not of faith is what? Sin. Sin. Zechariah gets this incredibly good news, and what's his response? Unbelief. Luke rec records his response, how shall I know this? And that, now notice what he says next. For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. In essence, he says to the angel, hey, angel, I don't know if you've uh, recognized this yet, but I'm no spring chicken. And Elizabeth, she's been blowing the budget lately on wrinkle cream. <laughs> so let's read this with our sanctified imagination. Luke gives us a response to the angel, I am the... I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Now, how do you think he said those words? Do you think he leaned into Zechariah and whispered in his ear? Do you think he just said to Zechariah in a lighthearted, conversational, offhanded way, hey, I'm Gabriel? I don't think so. I think he spoke with a voice that sounded like thunder. I 
am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. Translated to mean, how dare you doubt the word of the very God you serve, the very God you're in here offering prayers to, the very God you're burning incense to. How dare you? Who do you think you are? Notice what happens next. Gabriel responds to the unbelief of Zechariah with a pronouncement. says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And because of his unbelief, Gabriel said to him, And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. It is a serious thing to doubt God's word. This is what him and his wife had been praying for, yet when God answered, he did what? He doubted. He let his unbelief rule. And he had, mark this, he had to suffer the consequences of his unbelief. He couldn't even tell his wife with his own tongue that they were going to have a child. Think of that. And we may sit back and say, well, it just seems like a a small thing. He looked at his body and he said, well, how can this be? But you know what God says? If I said it, you better believe it. Remember this. Unbelief is always the easy path. Always. If I can borrow from M. Scott Peck, faith is the road less traveled. Why? Because it's the harder path. Unbelief is always easier than faith. Go see Thomas. There's no reward for unbelief, and faith is always rewarded. The problem was Zechariah, despite his prayers, when the rubber met the road, did not believe in the supernatural power of God. He looked to himself and he said, there's no way this can happen. He thought of his wife's age and said to himself, she's too old to have a child. He looked to himself. He looked to her. He never looked to God. He failed to take into account the power of God, almighty maker of heaven and of earth. As one commentator said, he had his biology right, but his theology was all wrong. He chose unbelief over faith. What about you? What is God doing in your life or in our church and you have decided to choose unbelief over faith? Now I'll say it again. The Bible says whatever is not of faith is what? Sin. And apparently Zechariah didn't really expect God to answer his prayers. Philip Reichen again says, sometimes even a good man has trouble believing in the power of prayer or the truth of God's word. I don't have any doubt that Zechariah was a spiritually mature man. I don't doubt that his wife was spiritually mature. But yet, he didn't believe. He didn't really expect God to answer. 
So I think that's the takeaway from the scriptures for us today. Even believers at times can be plagued by unbelief. But know this. Now put myself in this category. Our unbelief displeases God. And I wonder how long did it take for Zechariah to realize just how foolish his response was? Probably about the time he went to open his mouth and he couldn't say anything. But here's the good news. You and I have both the perspective of time as well as the testimony of Scripture. And Luke includes this account of unbelief so that we can do what? Believe and not doubt. Let me give you one brief final closing observation I'll call it a drive-by. Unbelief many times is expressed in our words. Listen to what you say. Your unbelief is showing. Pray during all seasons of life. Pray through the dark days as well as the sunny ones. Pray because God is working in ways unknown and unseen by us. Continue to pray because God is glorified in your praying. Pray because God uses your prayers as the means by which his will is accomplished. Never forget this. The longer the delay, the greater the glory. Zachariah and Elizabeth prayed for decades. And the answer to their prayers turned out to play, turned out to play such an important part in God's eternal plan and purpose. Think about it. If God had answered their prayer sooner, the child would not have been the forerunner of the Messiah. The child would not have been after the power and the spirit of Elijah. And when God answers your prayer, do everything that you can to guard against unbelief. And as we'll see in the life of Mary, there is a vast difference between, I can't believe it. You know, sometimes we hear good news, we say, I can't believe it. It's too good to be true. Versus Zechariah, I won't believe it. See, as a church, we must make sure that when we pray, we really do believe that not only is God hearing our prayers, he is actively at work answering our prayers in such a way that his glory is maximized and magnified. Let's pray. Father, I think of the man that came running to Jesus and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And Father, we gather every Sunday morning at 1030 for prayer. And Father, we gather, I trust, believing that you are hearing, that you are working, and that you are going to answer. And Father, I pray that when you do answer our prayers, we don't respond with unbelief. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word, which so skillfully uses the events of history, the events in the lives of real people, 
through which you reveal your glory to us. Father, I pray that we as a church would not choose the path of least resistance, which is unbelief, but are willing to take that road less traveled, that highway of faith, that highway of belief. The Bible calls it the narrow way, and it leads to life. It leads to glory. I pray that would be true of us. And I ask all these things in the name of the one who makes all of this possible, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.